0: Out of the Traps, brought to you by the Greyhound Board of Great Britain.
1: Well, hello, and a very warm welcome to episode number five of Out of the Traps, brought to you by the Greyhound Board of Great Britain. I'm Dave Clark once again. I'm pleased to say I'm joined by Senior Stipendiary Steward at the GBGB, Paul Inningworth. How are you, Paul? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Dave. You have to uh, stop bumping into each other. I've bumped into you twice at Toaster,
2: Paul, and uh, people will start talking. Yeah, you, you was very much on a social visit the last time I saw you at Toaster, but uh, it's not a surprise. Everyone wants to be at Toaster. The Derby's been a fantastic competition so far, and long may it continue. Yeah, have you been enjoying the action, Paul? We are officially halfway through. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's you know it's heating up nicely. You know we're getting to the business end of the of the competition now, and yeah, it's just it's just good seeing good dogs running, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And uh, thank you to everyone for their uh, very kind feedback on our last episode. We had the Toaster promoter Kevin Boothby on. It was great to hear from Kevin. He obviously revealed his uh, big plans for Derby final night on Saturday, the tenth of July, which is of course officially the biggest night of the year in greyhound racing. So get yourself along there. Do remember you can book tickets now at Toaster. Uh, dash racecourse.co.uk slash bookings. Um, and of course, Kevin has, has since announced that um, contracts have been exchanged and he plans to reopen and race again at both Oxford and Milden Hall before the end of the year, which is uh, absolutely fantastic news. He did promise us he'll come back on as well, so we will have him back on at some stage. Um, but quickly before we get into um, questions and our special guest this episode, Paul, that's fantastic news, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's um, it's always good to hear of uh, you know things opening and, and new ventures. Although the racecourses have previously are previously known to us, yeah, you know gr- the appearance of growth is always good for any for any business and industry. Absolutely
1: right. we'll uh, we'll say hello to our special guest uh, this episode before we uh, get on to some questions. Uh, we are slowly working our way through everyone. It's a who's who of the GBGB, and uh, today we've got another special guest. It's Tracy Moore who is here at the Acting Registrar. How are you, Tracy?
0: I'm very well, thanks, uh, Dave.
1: It's been a while, Tracy, hasn't it? We have met before. Um, it was quite a while ago. Uh, I know your husband, uh, Nigel, um, he's involved in dogs, was involved in dogs as an owner. Um, we both had dogs at Dean Charles' Kennel, and I met you a couple of Sundays out walking the dogs. So you obviously uh,
0: right. love your
1: racing side of things as well.
0: Uh, yes, yeah. I mean, he, unfortunately, he um, he doesn't have dogs anymore. Obviously, when he did, I'd come out and and uh, help him walk his dogs at Dean's or um, Maxine Locke, and then obviously from there we used to go and watch the dogs racing at Romford.
1: Uh, absolutely fantastic. Before we uh, talk to, to Tracy and find out about the engine room at the GBGB, uh, how I've been described it before. Uh, the registry department. I've got some questions. Uh, Do, of course, remember to do get your questions into us, pod at gbgb.org.uk. Episode six, incidentally, um, we will have Mark Bird on as well. So get your questions in for Mark. I'm sure there'll be plenty. I've got plenty myself. Um, But we've got three questions this week. First one up, Paul, is uh, from John Young. He says, um, I accept every dog is different. Uh, We have different constitutions, different recovery rates. Uh, but there are dogs currently running five, six, sometimes more times a month. Um, Should a limit be explored to ensure uh, we never ask too much of our dogs?
2: Well, the short answer, Dave, is it is being explored. We have lots of research projects that go on under the auspice of the Veterinary and Welfare Subcommittee. And they're they're wide and varied. Some of the studies have been published on our website where you, you utilise the Veterinary Training Centre at Nottingham University. uh, They're students that that do quite a lot of work there. So, you know, we've got studies into injury detection and summertime lameness syndrome and things like that. In answer to the question, research is always ongoing and it's when we come to something that is conclusive that can be administered and put into rules then then that's what we'll do we did that with hyd- the hydration study from a few years ago which is how you know we were able to amend the rule to make sure that all greyhounds had water in the kennel at the racetrack which was something that more than five years ago didn't happen so you know where, where the science tells us the information it, it is acted on so that that work is ongoing
1: okay i'm going to coin a phrase um that has been used a hell of a lot over the last uh
2: 18 months or so but we are so we're basically letting the science guide us we've got a ground commitment and you know part of that commitment is that welfare is at the heart of everything we do and you know we've got a we've got access to a lot of very talented experts in different fields and whether that's genetics or track preparation or you know injury detection injury prevention disease control all these kinds of things and and so there's always work going on to improve you know it's just, just striving to improve things and and uh, you know we provide the trainers with a lot of information like i said on the website to, to help with these sorts of things as well so yeah if the science is there to to, to support it then then changes can be made okay and will we eventually see this all this um, research et cetera, Paul will it be put out yeah, into the, the public domain I think when there's um when there's something conclusive that can come of it because some sometimes you know re- research can happen and it doesn't it can be inconclusive with racing there are so many so many factors you know for for a racing dog you know if all the dogs were trained by one person at one kennel that would give you the kind of the best controlled environment for looking at things like variances in injury rates and, and whatever but it's not you know every trainer does has a different regime you know the time they spend traveling to the track what their diet is and all of these things are variable so it does make it very difficult you don't you know with any scientific kind of work you need a control sample it's very difficult yeah. to get that control sample in a in a sort of like a living working environment as this industry is
1: okay excellent good question that as well um something that certainly interests me as well so we'll look out uh, for any news on that peter williams next question up Um, He says, terrific news that Kevin Boothby plans to reopen both Oxford and Milden Hall later this year. Uh, What is the process for him or anyone else to become a promoter at a venue? And how will the GBGB be assisting Mr Boothby?
2: Okay, so the process for licensing a race course is part of our our accredited scheme. And as such, it's publicly available to anybody that wants to, to look at it now. If anyone is interested in looking at what the requirements are, I would point them to um, Appendix 7 of the Rules of Racing, where it lists the criteria for a new race course. So simply put, you would go down the list and just sort of picking out a couple of items on there. They must complete an application form, lodge their appropriate fee. They must have provisions for betting and premises license for, for the track. Uh, there's, there's a whole list of different criteria there. Um, so. You know, once all of that's met, that's where we get to a position of being able to issue somebody a license. In terms of my interaction, I would normally wait, you know, once an application has been received, which obviously goes to the direct regulation in the first instance. There's a check made on the application to make sure all the you know boxes are filled in and we've got all the basic information we need to, to start the process. And then I would go out and do a site visit and inspect the premises and what what is there and what state it's in obviously with the most recent application from toaster that was something that we did and sort of backwards and forwards a few times to to make sure they've got all the equipment in full working order and and in, in a in a state that we're happy with and then once uh, once that's complete then move on to the issuing of like a of, of a license with a a caveat that part of our sort of inspection process is about looking at uh, having appropriate staffing levels and that the procedures are being followed but you can't really demonstrate that till you've got the license so it's sort of like there's almost like a probationary period for any new track so when they start trials we'll be in attendance for every meeting to make sure things are being uh, followed correctly um, it's important to point out as a regulator and as a licensing body we can't we can't give any advice um, yeah. in that way so in terms of supporting the track or, or any application we can't uh sort of go along and say right this is the best way to do this or that you know we can we can point out the things that need to be addressed and in reality we, we just work with the with any applicant to get them to a position whereby you know their 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 facilities are satisfactory i'm
1: assuming paul that because You know, Kevin has has already done a fantastic job with both Henlow and Toastar. Any sort of, you know, fit and proper test um, that that goes in place before you can be obviously licensed as a a promoter. He kind of ticks all them boxes already. So would his process been a bit quicker than sort of anyone who's not been involved before?
2: Yeah I mean it was for for Toaster you know he's he's already got a company set up so part of the application is looking at like business plans and things like that so that's not an area that I'm involved in but certainly for the for the regulatory board when they're looking at that they need to be satisfied that it's not a pie in the sky sort of venture and that there's actually some merit to it because the implications on the on, on the welfare of the dogs is quite significant you know you don't want to sort of people buying dogs and and, and bringing dogs to the track that, that closes within a couple of months because it presents a potential welfare risk with, with lots of dogs with nowhere to run and, and needing to be home. So due diligence that goes on and like you say, tracks that pre-existing organisations or companies, obviously it's a quicker process for them because you're not looking at who they are as a company and who the directors are as, as much as you would for somebody that was just sort of walking off the street and not known to not known to anybody in the sport.
1: Okay, well, excellent. In a in an era at the moment, a modern era where, unfortunately, we're not seeing many tracks open or, in this case, reopen. Uh, we wish uh, Mr. Boothby well. Um, I know he signed a a ten year lease um, at Oxford as well, so hopefully, real long term plans there. But thank you for that question, Peter. Uh, next one we have Lucy Sharp has been on. Says uh, she says my local track, Romford same as mine um, are tremendous at man in the bends. They have a handful of people inside the track for every race. Is this something that should be implemented at every track? To your knowledge, does it go on at every track, Paul?
2: Uh, it's it's encouraged. The difficulty we have here is um, when we've looked at this before from a regulatory perspective is that being on the being on the track during a race is, is not permitted by the rules. And, um, and the, the problems you run into for the stadium in particular is that they would be invalidating any public liability or employer liability insurance they would have for their staff or members of the public if somebody was to be injured as a result of being on the track. The way that it works is that basically anyone that's out doing the bends at the track are there voluntarily and in effect waving their right. If, if I was if, about
1: to say, can you waive that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: So... What that means is, then, you can't really put that in as a rule that there must be somebody there, because obviously that would, I would suspect, put the regulator in a position where we would have to then probably underwrite that liability, which obviously um, isn't something we're we're in a position to do. So it's it's all done by gentlemen's agreements, and I don't think I think for people in the sport, we all want what's best for the dogs, and I think for the most part, it is something that is managed effectively. You know, every now and again there'll be an be an incident where something maybe could have been done slightly better, but you know it's not as simple as having somebody on a bend. You know, it's got to be somebody that's uh, trained and capable to deal with an issue should it arise. You know, uh, and confident enough yeah. to jump on the track and, and do the right thing. Yeah. So it's it's um it's it's a tricky one. It's you know we'd always try and encourage it, and we certainly encourage the race courses and and for the race courses benefit. You know, being able to get onto the track uh, in a timely fashion is uh, is what people want it's it's one that i'm afraid for the foreseeable future anyway certainly won't be any that be coming through as a as a regulation just because it's not enforceable because rightly so people have the right not to be put in that position uh, in terms of yeah, but what you're telling me is that it's encouraged anyway it's any instances that have arisen at a track where something or the perception is that something could have been avoided, we will speak to that race course and and look at trying to figure out a way of changing the the the, the situation. So yeah, I'd be confident that uh, there should be something in place at most tracks. Okay, yeah, well, that's that's good to know. Anyway, yeah, I mean,
1: I think we don't want to see sort of dogs that are injured completing the course anyway. Do is when they can be stopped safely. Um, I'm I'm all for that. So thank you for that. Lucy, uh, that about wraps it up for so the questions um, this week. As I say, um, a reminder that Mark Bird is our guest on the next episode. So do get your questions in. Um, I'm sure Mark or Paul will be able to answer them. Pod at GBGB.org.uk. Thank you for that, Paul. Right now we will move on to our special guest in this episode who uh, we introduced at the top of the show. And that is Tracy Moore, who is the uh, acting registrar at the GBGB. Welcome back. Tracy, um, and just you kind of touched on it at the top, but just give us a little bit of background and, and how you've been involved in Greyhound Racing and, and got to the position you are right now.
0: Yes, so basically, my husband um, owned a, a few dogs. Even before I met him, he'd had dogs that ran at Walthamstow. Then probably about 10 11 years ago he decided to get back in uh, had a few dogs um, running with romford trainers so that was always our track that we went to and then just happened to spot in the race card that they were advertising for a racing office assistant had a read and thought oh i could have a go at that. So um, uh, applied, interviewed by Peter O'Dowd, um, offered the job and I was there uh, just over two years and then I saw the position for maternity cover here for the assistant registrar um, and I thought well, that looks interesting as well. It was just a, almost a continuation of some of the things I had been doing in the racing office and applied for that. So I've now been here just over four years having to just step up uh, as acting registrar for the for the time being.
1: OK, and I've been um, described the, the registry department as the engine room at the GBGB. Would you uh, agree with that, Tracy?
0: Definitely yes but you know without the things that we do here in, um, in the registry um, you know the dogs wouldn't be running uh, so obviously we're responsible for for getting the dogs registered so that uh, they can get on the track and, and start to trial.
1: So you you guys are, I'm sure handling a, a lot of paperwork what are your what would be the main functions then of, of your department at the GBGB GB Tracy?
0: Yes, so obviously the, the main functions are, are for us are the, the registrations, the transfer of ownership. Uh, we also do the licensing, so that's kennel hands up to trainers and also the, the local officials. And we, we do trap draws pretty much on a daily basis as well for any competitions from minors up to category ones. We also uh, deal with the British bread litters uh, for when they need earmarking. So we do that as well.
1: Okay, well, hopefully you're busy on that front because we would like to see uh, British breeding thriving.
0: Yes, yeah, definitely. There's always stuff coming in that needs earmarking. So as I'm sending it out, I'm, I'm getting paperwork back from the earmarking stewards where they've um, earmarked them. So, yeah, no, it um, seems to be going well on that front.
1: Okay, fantastic. Well, um, you've, you've touched on sort of your your main or the department's main functions. Could you maybe describe us what a, a typical day Um, Would it like for you, Tracy, I know sort of open racing even outside of the derby is very, very busy at the moment. So you must be doing trap draws almost on a daily basis.
0: So yeah, every day there's stuff coming in. Um, but a general day would be uh, coming in the morning, picking up emails because obviously you've got tracks where they're open weekends and evenings, so they might be sending emails over uh, while we're not in the office. So we're we're picking up emails and messages, uh, the postal turn up, which is always mainly for our department because it's all the registrations transfers and licenses all all have to come in by um, post unfortunately Um, so we're going through opening all of that Uh, then I'll spend sort of quite a a few hours actually doing the registrations um, depending obviously on on volume um, and the the transfers um, trap draws and, and licenses so it's pretty much the same thing every day um, but no two days are the same, if, if that makes sense. Sometimes you, you might have um, a lot of registrations, sometimes not so many, but then you might have other uh, things that um, crop up that I ha- that you have to deal with.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it sounds like um, handing a lot of, of paperwork, as I've I said there. Mm. Do we expect to see everything electronic at, at some point? Would you know too much about that?
0: Uh, I don't I, I would love that to happen um it yeah defies belief sometimes with the amount of paper that we deal with when everyone's supposed to be moving away from from paper um but obviously while we still have the paper identity cards yep. application forms um you, you know every, everything like that is still all very much paper based um and until I suppose something's put into place to, re- to replace that. We're, we're not going to be moving away from that anytime soon. Okay. And
1: I, I kind of think I know what your answer is going to be to my final question to you. And that is what do you spend most of your time doing? Um, Cause I personally know myself as a, as an owner, I've, I've filled out forms incorrectly before, so I'm going to guess that chasing up and trying to correct people is perhaps what you spend most of your time doing, Tracy.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's um, a real shame um, because if, if everything came in completed um, and everything in place, then... Dogs would be registered so much quicker. I mean, I I try my best not to send paperwork back to the tracks um, because at at the end of the day, I appreciate there's an owner out there that's waiting for their dog to be registered so their dog can start trialling. But sometimes there's just far too much wrong with it and I have to send it back. Um, But if it's, you know, things like something's not been signed, it's left blank you know or you know where people should have have filled bits in quite often i'll just work with the track or with the trainer to to get those bits completed so then i can get the 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 dog registered just to try and speed things along a little bit
1: so do you get you must be hounded by owners is my dog registered yet does that (laughs) often happen
0: that is our number one question i would say um but really we would rather people check with the track first and and also give the track a reasonable amount of time to get the paperwork to us, that they're not always ready to put it in the post as soon as they've taken the markings because really what they should be doing is making sure everything is completed in full and that they've got everything that we need to register the dog. So you've got to give them a couple of days to really realistically to, to, to make all those checks before they put it in the post. And also the post only delivers Monday to Friday here as well. So if a dog's marked up on a Friday, it's not going to be here by Monday. It's highly unlikely. So, um, all we ask people really is just just give it a realistic amount of time if you still can't you know see that the dog's been registered check with the track um double check that they have posted it and when they've posted posted it to us um and then by all means give us a call you may not be able to get through to us um straight away we we are very busy and we are still running on a bit of a skeleton staff we 're following covid yep. um government guidelines, so we 're not up to full strength in the office still at the moment, but leave a message, we will call you back, and that 's a promise you know just just let us know why you 're calling and who you are, and we will give you a call back and help where we can
1: okay well i won 't keep you any much longer than uh, in that case, tracy because i 'm sure you know your phone's probably ringing you 've probably got paperwork to get through uh, i'm sure you're very very busy. Um, just finally, um, I suppose what would be your message then to people if they're what would you call a, a reasonable time for their for their dog to be registered? You know, I'm sure people are being patient, as you say, if people wanna see um their pride and joy on the track, trialing and, and racing.
0: You've got to give it a week. We endeavour to get everything done on the day it arrives in the office, but Give the tracks a chance as well to turn the paperwork around and to get it off to us. Um, But say a week from when it's marked up, you should expect to see it on the system at the track and able to trial.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you for your time and a little bit of insight into your role at the GBGB, Tracy.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me on.
1: Not a problem. You're welcome any time. Um, as we say, as we work our way through the, the who's who, the personnel at the GBGB and, and finding out you know, who they are and, and what they do. That's Tracy Moore, who is the uh, acting registrar at the moment at the GBGB. Um, I thank Tracy and Paul for their time and expertise. They're a member, of course. Episode uh, number six of Out of the Traps will feature the uh, GBGB managing director, Mark Burr. So do get your questions in pod at GBGB.org.uk. And do, of course, remember that we are available on all main podcasts, providing platforms, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Apple, etc. And also you can find us on the publications page on the GBGB website, which is, of course, where you find the calendar. Until then, enjoy your racing, stay safe, and thanks for listening.
0: Out of the Traps, brought to you by the Greyhound Board of Great Britain.